Hello, and welcome to the Decking Awesome Games podcast, where we talk about how to create your own board game, our journey through the board game industry, and chat about board game culture in Ireland. My name is Owen, and I'm joined by the awesome Kira and Brian. Hello. Hi. Today, we are talking about how to work with artists. We are going to discuss why you should choose one, how to work with one, and the pitfalls you might have. So, artists cover a broad spectrum of talents and creative people, uh, but who are these people? There's a lot of people covered under artists. Some people are individuals. Their main job is to design beautiful things in various different ways. They can be contractors or they can own their own company or they can work as part of a larger company as well. They can design things like models as well as illustrate pictures or designs and artwork. They do a, a lot of like graphics and iconography and pretty much it's a really broad spectrum. Remember kids that artists don't get paid in exposure. Exposure doesn't cover the rent, it doesn't cover the bills. Pay your artists money, ideally. Or some barter system if they're okay with that, but money is usually preferable. If you want an artist to do a really good job for you, telling them, don't worry, we'll tell everyone you did this, isn't going to incentivize them as much as, yeah, we'll pay your bill because we really like your artwork. And, you know, don't forget to give them credit in the in, in your rule book or in your uh, mentions wherever as well. Exposure also. They want to be involved in the process too. Like, this is something that they're creating. And the process of creating something really invests you in it. So you want to be on, like, good relationship with them. You want them to feel like they want to put their best work into this. Yeah, that can add to the vision of the whole board game uh, and create a kind of a unified um, thing. So, like, bringing in these kind of creative people can really help in your board game project. But, like, these board game illustrators and graphic designers can come from pretty much anywhere as well. They could be a friend, they could be someone you met in college, and maybe they don't even have, like, a company or a... They're working for a graphic designing company. Maybe they're trying to get to that point and they see this as a good kind of way of getting out there and getting some exposure but even in that point you should still pay them quite well pay them like you would a normal person because you know you want them to be included and you want them to be you know well looked after especially for future projects you want to make good connections because you never know what's going to happen in the, in the, in the future so yeah well, i was gonna say it is always handy to have contacts in the artistic world for our first two games we had our or my fantastic sister, Kate, with Maker Design, do illustrations and iconography and stuff like that for us. It worked out great. Yeah, she's a really great graphic designer. She helped us out a lot with the vision and figuring out how we wanted the game to look and feel and all that kind of stuff. brought together a lot of good back and forth conversations and we're kind of professional about it as well. So even though she was your sister, we still kept that like good relations for the future. And she also provided some good insights into uh, how to organize various different pieces so there's a lot of different groups that are involved in the artwork in games or the uh, design of games and she kind of helped us guide us through the landscape a bit on this so that we understood specialist areas like iconography and visual detail and layouts and backgrounds and templates aren't necessarily provided by the same person who might be working on the illustration and the design. 
So the clarity that those sorts of backgrounds and eye-catching uh, elements of cards and layout are best done by somebody who has good idea of visual cues and has trained as like a graphic designer. So that role can be quite different to somebody who just wants to portray a landscape or portray a creature in all of its glory in one single picture. So is there a way of breaking these down into different groups? I know this, when we talk about uh, artists and creative people, we are talking about quite a lot of different skills, such as graphic design. Is there a way of breaking these down further when it comes to specifically board game development? I suppose it's about, it's about finding who you need for what. So like an, an illustrator may be the person who does all the artwork for you, who does the box cover, who does the creatures, who does the backgrounds, the maps, that kind of thing. Whereas maybe you want a graphic designer who's going to help you with the iconography, the symbols, the text, you know, making sure everything fits together and works together like uh, Maker Design did for us, where they, they can tell you, oh, you know, that looks good, but maybe we'll put it in this font. It makes it easier to read and we'll put this image over here because otherwise you're just stuck with a block of text. But at least if you're breaking it up, it makes it easier to put together. And then I suppose not to neglect the the likes of the writers out there as well, who, you know, for storytelling and legacy games and stuff like that, you need somebody to write the whole game. If you can do it yourself, great. But, you know, having somebody to even edit it, read it, check for plot holes and loopholes and things like that, they're all essential. Including these people is really good in the process because... There are lots of things that you don't might not know about when it comes to writing graphic design and illustrator because if you have a plot for your whole game and it's very kind of text-based and you're reading a lot of cards and you're kind of following along of this story, a professional writer could help you with like subplots and adding in new characters and how do you get character motivations and kind of bring in lots of different things that you might not even like being aware of or things that engross people into the story more. Having those skills means you're going to be adding new things to the game that you didn't realize that adds a lot of quality to the game. So they pay for themselves a thousand times over, just including them inside the process. All right, so the next one is, where do I find these creative people, these artists? So a good idea is to just check your network. Have you been at an event where there have been artists? Do you have a friend or somebody you worked or went to college with that might already have those skills we're pretty lucky to have Brian's sister Kate to start us off and she she was really invaluable you might not be as lucky as that so there's a good chance of finding people who are really good artists at a lot of the events that are related to board games so things like conventions there's usually an artist alley or you can check out the person's artwork beforehand there's also the same thing at like anime and other sorts of conventions. So it's not just board games. Approach people. They're really happy to talk to you. You probably get a good idea of what they're like to work with based on a few conversations with them. So ask some questions and see. Some illustrators only design things that they want to design. So they're mainly focused on like set pieces or designs that they have chosen in advance but other ones are happy to do commissioned work so maybe your first choice that you see at an art convention doesn't 
do any commissioned work, but you could always ask them more about their art style. So there's a lot of overlap in artists' art style. So if you get the details of that person of what they're doing, you know, is it computer graphic? Is it hand-drawn? Is it watercolor? What their picture is made of and what the elements are that you like about it, then you can find an illustrator that maybe does do commissioned work that has a similar style. So if you don't find a person at a convention or you don't get the opportunity to have somebody who does do commission work, you can always move on to websites out there. There's a lot of networks and portfolios available to view on the internet. So we found some people on Hire an Illustrator. So that has a worldwide listings of people on it. You can find people in countries that are close to you because the time zone can be a little bit annoying if you are working with people who are from a different time zone. You're always going to have to wait a day, so that can add big delays. So usually you might want to look for the style you want and then lower it down to like people who are physically near enough to you. It doesn't have to be the same country, but just close enough that you'll be able to trade ideas fairly quickly and have meetings at like you don't have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to have a meeting with them our illustrator was based in england so that was quite nice to be able to have someone on the same time zone we could chat to them whenever we wanted when you're talking to people in board game conventions make sure that you're aware that usually the artwork and the illustrations that they show are usually based on people because that's how they get a lot of the commissions from people doing D&D campaigns or, you know, just getting their own, like, person drawn in a board game convention. Uh, and these artists probably have other pieces of work. So if you talk to them, you like their artwork, be aware that, like, if you check out their Instagram, you might see more, like, items or landscapes. And then that can help you figure out what kind of art style you want for your board game. Because obviously, a lot of board games, they don't have a whole lot of people it might be for your player mats, but then most of the cards will be items or creatures. So just be aware of that. But yeah, getting in contact with people in board game conventions is very handy, very easy to do, and they're really nice people. And keep in mind that maybe the style you want for your illustration isn't necessarily the style you want for your icons. So the elements on your car- on your game that make the game playable tend to have to follow certain constructs. It's kind of like website design and, and things like that where elements on your game that tell the player what to do are really your user interface. They're what guides the person so that they naturally remember that that skull with a cross through it means they've died or that the little square cube symbol either means pick up resources or roll a dice. So those sorts of pieces that are about knowing how to play a game there's kind of an inbuilt thing in people's brains on what certain icons mean based on like everything that they interact with in their day-to-day environment. So you have to keep consistent with your icons. So that's why bringing in somebody who might be experiencing graphic design uh, would be helpful because they know through their training and through all the work that they've done how to guide somebody through symbols without actually having to say it in their face. You have to do this. Yeah, it's a a very good point. Think about any board game you might have played before and you want to figure out how much damage you're doing. You're going to look for a little sword symbol or a little some kind of attacking symbol. Whereas if you're going, oh, you know what? I want to design a game and I want the damage to be represented by a window pane because maybe it's about throwing characters out windows or something like that. Oh, it's a great idea. I need to write that one down. So you're going, okay, well, they're taking three window panes of damage. 
people playing the game who are just going to glance at it are going to look at it and not have a clue what that symbol means. So sometimes, you know, having someone who's knowledgeable and knows kind of the associations people will make with the symbols in their head is, is a good idea to, to steer you in the right direction. Another thing to mention as well is that Instagram is, I find, incredibly useful, especially when it comes to tags and locations. It's a good way to find artists and their work and to see the catalogue of their work and kind of what they've been producing. And then a good way of kind of getting in contact with them and seeing if they're interested in board games. They don't have to be specifically board game related. They rarely are. And then you can kind of find them and have a chat with them. Usually they're kind of webcomic artists or they're just artists showing off their work. But yeah, there's lots of places online where you can kind of find that stuff. Okay, so another question is, when should you bring them into the process of the board game development? Suppose this is always a bit of a tougher one to know when to bring them in. If you bring them in too early, you know, you might end up with a lot of changes. The game version 2 may be completely different to game to version 45. So if you have your artist in too early, you're probably going to have to make too many changes. It's going to be expensive. Again, artists don't work for free. But at the same time, if you're bringing them in too late, you know, you could run into difficulties with the length of time things take and you could end up with delays to Kickstarter and production and stuff like that that you hadn't intended, which again could be more cost, more time, more complications. A good idea or what we've found useful is you want to bring them in when you think the game is mostly finished. You know there might there's probably going to be a few small tweaks to be made, but the majority of it is there. You know what creatures you're going to have in the game. You know what the game is going to look like. Sure, you might change a few values here and there. You might tweak a little bit of a room here or there, but for the most part, the game is solid. I think that's the point where you want to have the artist in to start doing the artwork. There's nothing wrong with contacting them in advance, contacting them earlier and say, look, love your art style. This is what I'm working on. And maybe band a few ideas back and forth to see, you know, is it something they can do? Is it something they're interested in? Is it feasible? And if it is, great. You can say, okay, well, look, you know, the game isn't at the point where I'm ready to start artwork yet. Do you have any free time coming up in the next, you know, few months or the next year? And they might tell you, oh, yeah, look, by April, I have a couple of weeks free. I can dedicate it entirely to your game. And you can go, great. Okay, so by April, I need to have as many of the kinks and tweaks and changes worked out as possible. So it's a good idea to talk to them early. But if you're hiring them to do artwork when your game is still fluctuating and changing a lot, you're going to end up frustrating them, frustrating yourself and costing yourself a lot of money for artwork that, you know, they've made, but you aren't able to use anymore. I think creating batch processes is a good way. Some people will do it. Every individual piece of artwork, they'll have a conversation and get back and forth. We find it's a better approach to bring everything together. So if you have 40 cards, and you want 20 people and then 60 different items and stuff like that, you can kind of bring it all into one and say, this is kind of what we want. And then kind of have a brief description over each one, see what you're going for. Maybe you sketch it yourself, just kind of see what you're looking for, maybe give reference material and just kind of give that to them and go, you know, this is a big piece of work and there's a lot of stuff in here. That's your batch of kind of stuff to give them. And then when they get time, they can do it or get most of it done. And then, also, you know, mention the fact that there could be another batch. So we, we have problems of like, when it comes to Kickstarter, we might have Kickstarter stretch goals, or we might have, you know, a convention coming up, a bigger convention, we do it, and then we have a small tweak. Maybe one of the 
piece of artwork isn't sitting well with people or something like that. And we might have a smaller batch then to do afterwards. But if you if you keep it in batches, then you've only got like two or three batches before the game is done, rather than having hundreds of requests for different pieces of artwork and changes and stuff like that. It helps kind of organize stuff. It helps kind of give them time to dedicate like three weeks on a specific task. And it allows you to not have to just be in this constant conversation with them all the time. If you think about it, you might have some elements of the game that you know won't change. So you know what your main character is going to look like. He's fundamental to the way the game is going to work. So you might be able to say to the artist, could you design him? I want him to look like this. And he's going to be starting from this point. Your start point is fixed. So that might not change. Whereas, you know, elements of the game, maps, creatures and that might be fluctuating and changing. So you might not be able to get him involved in as much as that. And as you, as you said, going to conventions and things like that, you might need, say, box cover art done earlier than you intended because you want to get a banner done to display the game. So even though your box cover is probably one of the last things you'd normally do, if you're trying to advertise and promote it, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to have it done a bit earlier. You can do the, the artist in batches or the artwork in batches, again, if it suits your, your artist, where you can say, okay, well, you know, give me a main character, give me a box art, give me some stuff I can use to, to brand and advertise, and then give me just enough for the core game that I'm going to be demonstrating. There will also be other elements, but we'll come back to them in a month's time and stuff like that it, like being able to plan will probably make it easier for the artist and give you a timeline to stick to with your uh, with your upgrades and your plans and your testing and stuff like that it's fine that that line of too early and too late especially when things like Kickstarter are ending and stuff like that it's tough to know when deadlines are if you're not using Kickstarter then uh, you can be a little bit more flexible alright so there, there are still some kind of common questions that artists usually ask board game developers before they start getting into the work so the first kind of general question they ask is, how much work do you need me to do? How big is this project? So I think when you have gotten to a stage where you're tweaking the fine detail of your game and you're not working on the overall vision, you should have a good idea of what you need. There might be a slight variations, but what you need to do before engaging the artist is bring that together. You need to say, I know I want a box. I have a, an idea of the size of the box, or at least I have an aspect ratio of like, it's a portrait box or it's a landscape box that's approximately A3. And get all as much detail as you can together. If you have playing cards, you should have an idea of how big the playing cards are. So you should know how big the pictures you want on the playing cards are gonna be. If you have a board, you kind of at this point should have an idea of how big it should be. So gather together a list, a straightforward list of everything that you want so that the artist can at least estimate how long this whole process is going to take them. And size is important for the pictures because an artist doesn't have to put as much work into a smaller sized picture than they would into a game board. So that's going to make a big difference for them in, in how much detail they put in. So it helps them a lot if they know that sort of information up front. There is a process that's on you to gather together all of the components and all of the features that are going to need artwork and how big the icons or the images are going to be. Uh, you can also even show the prototype off to the artist if you have a very high quality prototype and kind of show them your the icons and show them the cards and how people play the game 
and that can kind of get them used to the idea of which cards are important. If there's a deck of 200 cards here, maybe don't put as much detail on the deck of 10 cards over here. Maybe the deck of 10 cards is like, these are more important. These are more generally shown to the game. So maybe put a lot of work into those. And the game board obviously is always shown. So this is your biggest piece of work. But yeah, there's even like stuff like the side of the box, the back of the box, where you come in with like graphic design and artwork. And maybe you can reuse pieces of artwork in different parts of your game. So having assets used in different kind of places. That can come up with the graphic designer, maybe even talking to them could show that more artwork is needed. Stuff like the rule book, you might have a very nice laid out rule book, but speaking to graphic designer, they might recommend saying, hey, instead of just having a whole bunch of text and like different like, sections, you could have like a character from the game who is like talking through the rules with the players. And then maybe that person has like a few, you know, character poses that you need from the artist to kind of drop in in different places and have a little text box. You know, that's totally up to the game designer because you still need to kind of match with the team. But that's kind of like a conversation you can have internally, figure out what you want, and then kind of bring it all together and seeing what is needed to kind of make that vision come to fruition. Yeah, it's good to be honest with the artist up front that, you know, because the game will be changing, because there might be tweaks that they, if they do artwork for you, even though you may think you're finished, someone could highlight something to you that no one's seen yet, but is a big deal. And you might have to go back to them and, and get some changes. So it's good to discuss with them at the start, you know, what could be involved and what might be involved. And, you know, they, they might say, okay, well, look, I understand that. I'll do the board images for you. I'll do 40 playing cards. I'll do two creatures. I'll do some rule book, book art. And then if you need changes done to these, I'll include five, six, ten of them for free after the final ones are done. But if you're changing a lot or you're cha making a lot of changes beyond that, I'm going to have to start charging you extra. It's good to explain to them up front because then they, they can maybe explain to you that if you're making a lot of changes consistently that the cost might go up just so you're not blindsided by a bill you get handed at the end because you've essentially got this artist to do 2,000 hours worth of work when previously you hired them for 500. Yeah, you can get out of hand pretty quickly because everyone thinks their first batch of artwork and iconography and stuff like that is the last batch. It rarely is. I expect this spends, you know, 1.5 times, maybe two times more. Who knows? It, it, it can really depend on the board game and how fleshed out your final product is. But spending that money in the, in the game is also, it, it'll pay off, it will. Especially with these artists and graphic designers talking about it, getting involved. They will come up with great ideas and, you know, letting them use those great ideas. It's obviously up to you, but bringing it all in together can help the final product a lot. Yeah, not, not all this work needs to be done by a single artist. For Dice Summoners, we had a graphic designer and an illustrator. We probably wouldn't recommend having multiple of the same type, so multiple illustrators can get a little bit confusing as to which ones work on which, and it's just harder to organize. Also, the style might not match. That's up to you, depending on how big your game is. You might want to have two different styles in the game, one for like a rule book and a box art, and one for like cards and stuff. But yeah, thinking about not putting all this work on a specific person can allow you to do things in parallel and could ease the workload off people. Yeah, so I suppose if you're going down the path of having two illustrators, just remember that it's not as easy as it has the time taken. Your consistency has to be held across both 
types of design. So you need to have common teams and things, which means that you have to go through the vision with both sets of people. And that might just be a waste of time in a lot of instances because somebody who gets in the flow of what your game is about might start being able to like design up different illustrations, multiple designs in a day because they are in the zone of what you're looking for. Whereas bringing another person you're going to have to follow the same process and get to the same point with them. And I think maybe that kind of links in with if you want to tell the person how much work is involved, a part of that is also telling them the vision that you have, like conveying the style of your game, but as well, what you're aiming for. Like Dice Summoners is a mythical fantasy battle and the creatures are all individual with their own advantages and disadvantages but they're also part of a set so there's five different themed creature styles within the game and having that information meant that when the illustrator was looking at the uh, different creatures he could kind of link together the ones that were part of the same family so all that information even though it seems like well maybe you know he just needed to know that it was a wizard or it was an evil god or whatever should have been enough but without all of the background to it he probably wouldn't have created such full creatures as he did early prototypes can also show off your style so like we had this kind of very i like to think of it as an old parchment style kind of uh, prototypes like an old scroll or something like that it didn't look good like we just using assets that were free you know we cared more about the mechanics and how the game played even just that basic kind of vision is kind of reference material for the artist that they can use. Like, you know, this is kind of what they're going for. Obviously, they're going to bring in a, a graphic designer to make this look good. And then Amir is the illustrator to make it look, to make the artwork look good. And then everyone's kind of on the same page. And you'd be surprised as well, because even after the illustrator is done, it might look slightly differently, but you might like it more. And you might have to change your vision slightly based on what the artists and graphic designers are coming up with and kind of bringing all that together. Your vision probably won't change, but just style could change. Which I think is another common question of what kind of style are you looking for in your game? Whenever you're designing a game, you'll usually have an idea in your head of what it's going to look like. So when you go out looking for artists, you're probably going to try and pick an artist whose style matches what you have in your head. If you approach any artist and say, I want you to do this for me, or I saw another artist over there who does work like that. Can you match that? They're going to be like, no, just go talk to him. He does that kind of artwork. So getting the right idea in your head of what it's going to look like makes it easier to find artists and to work with them because the style you're imagining matches the style they work with mostly. It'll be easy enough to match up and for them to design things that suit your vision. Yeah, yeah because... Uh... We have Dice Summoners, which Kira mentioned was a kind of mythological fighting game. We have another game, which is Save Princess Snowball. It's going to be more family friendly, but it's also like an investigation kind of puzzle solving game. And then we also have Overbots, which is going to be a sci-fi sending robots onto the moon Titan. Like they already have a specific style of artwork, but we also want to have a vision for those games ourselves, which might be slightly different. And so we're going to try and bring those together, but those are totally different games and they'll have like some are family friendly some are adult based some have different kind of styles to play if some are pick up and play 
some are kind of a lot longer type of games. So we had to bring all those board game mechanics into the style and the vision of the artwork that we're going to be producing. Yeah, and I think your target audience comes in a little bit as well. So even if it's a family-friendly game, maybe kids aren't your audience. So try and think of the sort of style you think appropriately matches the genre you're going for, but also the audience that it's meant for. Another common question that artists have is who owns the artwork once it's finished? So this one can be a little bit more complicated. Artists like to keep ownership of their artwork and that's understandable because they want to be associated with the thing that they're creating. If they put a lot of work into it, it's part of who they are. You have to find a balance when you're engaging in a contract with an artist, especially for small artists who maybe are still making their name and they're probably easier to engage with and cheaper to work with, but they probably still want to be quite firm on on what they can use the artwork that they create for. So I suppose things that you need to consider is, even if the artist wants to keep ownership of the artwork, then maybe you could negotiate with them the activities that they could use that for and maybe the timeline. So it can be quite expensive to get complete ownership of artwork and to say it's your own because I suppose that's akin to hiring the person and having them work for you for all that time whereas when you're contracting there's still a certain ownership that they have of the work so we kind of went through the process and to be fair our illustrator was really really sound and very helpful we rather than paying the extra fee to own the artwork we organized so that we'd keep the artwork as only to be used in our game and our marketing material for 50 years or something like that. Some very lengthy amount of time. So I guess it was cheaper than buying the artwork completely, but we agreed that we'd be fine with him using it in his portfolio and we'd have exclusive rights to it as far as commercial enterprises go. I think that kind of balanced it out. He has a really big need for using it in his portfolio. He's still building up his name. He wants to show that off and show the projects that he's worked on so kind of consider what you actually need and try and be fair in what the contract should have like in 50 years time if we're reprinting dice summoners then excellent but we could probably redesign the game or we could get back in contact with brendan if we needed to to discuss at that point what we want to do like it's such a long length of time it's only the artwork that we're discussing so try and be fair and then just think of the different things that you might need to use it for he focused on needing it for his portfolio and we focused on needing it for the game and for the marketing material and for just decking off some games marketing material and for like Instagram and Facebook and social media. So try and pick out the areas and discuss up front because you don't want that person coming back to you in a year's time and going, well, we never agreed to that. And you're like, oh, I just hoped because we didn't talk about it that it was included. Just talk about it. Yeah. I know it's a difficult conversation to have. Because <laughs> when you're dealing with artwork and stuff like that, you initially think as a board game developer that you're only going to use the artwork for your game, for your cards, for your uh, front of your box. And then you do your Kickstarter and you realize you want to use the artwork for your Kickstarter. And you might not discuss that with the artist, but you might also then like set it up on a board game shop or like have little banners on your website and stuff like that. All this stuff. If you can remember to talk about it with the artists up front, then they're not surprised by anything. So if you can just say, we could probably going to use this artwork for different things. I hope you're okay with it. Then 
at least you can have that conversation straight away. Because yeah, you're going to use this artwork, not just for the game, but for other things, all, all sorts of different things. Like we have a giant banner that we use in board game conventions, and that's where we use a lot of the artwork. And that's quite good. And that's a good way of kind of showing off the game. And those kind of things seem obvious, like they should be part of the contract or whatever you have with the artist. But until you kind of bring it up, then it's just kind of an unknown. It doesn't have to be a contract. It can just be an exchange of few emails so that people are aware of exactly what you're doing. I was going to say the exact opposite. (laughs) But yes, it's good to have it in writing. It doesn't have to be a formal contract that's notarized and signed by lawyers where you all sit down across the table and agree on who can do what. But do talk to the artist and just say to them, look, this is what I plan to use it for. Are you okay with this? They'll say, yeah, look, fine. I technically own the rights. You can use it for anything related to the game, advertising of the game, marketing of the game, whatever it may be. But as long as it's there in writing, even just emails back and forth, you at least have a paper trail that, you know, hopefully it would never happen, but that if it ever came back up as a legal issue, them saying, oh, well, you know, I own those games. I own all that artwork. They can't sell that without uh, without my permission. You at least have emails to say, well, no, look, he said we could use it for this, this, and this. And vice versa, that's you're not going to go after the artist because he sticks it in a portfolio and uses it to get more work. I mean, I hope no one would be doing something like that. But if owning the artwork and stopping the artist using it means that much, splash out the money, buy the artwork outright. And larger companies can do that. But if you're a smaller company or you're, you know, you're designing by yourself, personally, I don't see anything wrong with the artist using it. The artist has put in the work. They deserve to show it off and brag about it because the more they're talking about it the more publicity we're getting if they're going oh yeah that's artwork i used for the board game dice summoners maybe someone will go and look it up maybe someone will buy themselves a copy to see what the art looked like in the game you know yeah. win-win yeah and as, as board game developers we probably don't think about this kind of stuff we just like buy artwork and then hopefully it all works out but uh, artists have probably been thinking about this because they get these requests all the time that they probably have something prepared. They probably have something that they can email you and go, this is kind of the general system that I work on and the ownership that I work on and what you can use the artwork for. And so you can get that sort of information pretty early on if you remember to ask for it. If it doesn't sit with you, you can discuss with them further or um, if they're very hardline on it, then you can you can kind of do whatever you want. The earlier you discuss it with them, the advantage is you don't have to work with them if you absolutely think that they're being unreasonable. If you discuss it while you're discussing the quote, then at least you know where you stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can change the quote as well. If you want more privileges, then it might cost you more, but that could be worth it. Any other tips with working with artists? Yeah, I suppose the one I found most helpful is to have a very clear idea in your head of what you want the image to look like. So if you approach an artist and say, draw me a space station, I want a space station as part of my game, they're going to go off from their own bat, they're going to design a space station. And then they're going to come back and show it to you and you're going to go, oh, well, that's not what I thought the space station would look like. And you're going to end up back and forth making changes left and right. Again, more frustration, more costs, overall a pain. Whereas if you go to the artist in the first place and you say, I want a space station, but I wanted to have X features. I wanted to have Y components. I wanted to be set in Z situation where it presents like this. The artist then kind of has an idea and a focus and he can go, all right, well, 
I'll do those things. I'll draw it up like this. It's my style, but with the suggestions you wanted. And then even if it comes back and you're not happy, at least there's only tweaks likely to be needed rather than a complete overhaul of artwork. Like we were fortunate enough with Brendan, I think we only ended up turning away one or two of his early sketches. And that actually ties me in with giving feedback. Giving feedback early is a very good idea. There's no point going, oh, I don't really like it thinking to yourself and then you know by the time it's finished you've firmly decided that you don't like it and now either you use artwork you don't like or you have to tell the artist well those hours of work you put into that were pointless he's going to charge you for it rightly so whereas if you give feedback early on and go look I, I don't i don't really like that presentation the monster doesn't really look like what i think it should maybe you can do this or maybe it should look like this you, you can make the tweaks before there's a lot of time and investments into it Thankfully, like Brendan's sketches that we didn't use were simply down to him having a different idea than we did of what the creatures would look like. They weren't bad. They were great. They looked really good, but they just were different to how we imagined them. But because we were giving feedback early, he was able to say, OK, grand, look, I'll keep that. I'll use it for something else. I quite liked that drawing. And he came back with even better sketches. We were delighted. So early feedback, you know, have a good, clear image of what you want in your head before you start asking for them to just go off and draw design plan whatever it may be yeah because uh, it could be hard for you as a board game developer to have that vision and you might not fully know what the vision is so like if we take dice summoners you know you can keep the mechanics of dice summoners and you can make it a funny game or you can make it an adult team game or you can make it a family game and those kind of different teams you should have a good vision for it because if you say i want this Griffin look funny, you know, as in like a humorous kind of character, that's going to totally change what the artist creates. If you said it wanted to be realistic or you wanted it to be kind of mythological or kind of an old style thing, your vision can develop as the board game develops and the, working with the artist develops. But make sure you start off with a pretty good idea of what your vision is, or at least sit down and have a proper think about it before you start asking artists. And then when they do start sending stuff and they've gone for your team, but slightly different. You can give feedback saying, "Would you like that?" and keep going with it. And this is a cool idea. Let's let's keep let's keep going with it. Then you can change your vision based on the artist's kind of work. Some of the feedback can just be quite simple. Like one of our creatures had a goat's head, and in one of the drawings, we just thought um, maybe it wasn't quite clear what was going on in the image. And while it was in the early sketch stage, that sort of feedback is really invaluable. So it gets everyone on track. And there's just like, Brennan was doing hand-drawn sketches to start with before digitizing them. And then it was really straightforward for him to make slight modifications at that point to get the vision right and to match up all the different elements of what we wanted and what he thought would bring life to the characters. Yeah. So that really worked out. It's just that engagement, constant engagement on ideas to get you on track before it finalizes, you get to the final stages. That whole batch process of working with the artists helps in that process a lot. Because instead of you going and giving feedback on this one thing that you're talking about, and you know, it can frustrate the artists and you that we're, we're not on the same page. But if you have a batch of 40 things and you can say to the artist, you, you nailed 38 of these things. These are perfect and we're gonna use these in the artwork. And then two of these things need a slight tweak they're thinking that's fantastic that's like a really good work you know i can i don't have to worry about these 38 things i can focus on these two things slight modification if you feel it's better that the whole work is done in a, in a good consistent way 
I think that about wraps it up for working with artists. If you want to share other common questions an artist might ask, any tips you have if you've worked with an artist before or if you are an artist, or you just want to chat, then feel free to comment down below. We've been decking out some games. You can find us on most social media. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.